0: If you got your Bibles, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we will once again today be in verses 7 through 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we are in verses 7 through 11. Uh, The title of our lesson is The Spiritual Gifts, so we're going to kind of start today to walk through. Uh, some of the spiritual gifts, or all the spiritual gifts. We won't get to them all today, but we're at least going to kind of begin to go go through the list. So let's read those verses. It says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kind of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now, the Greek word, I don't know if y'all can read that up there, maybe you can. The Greek word most frequently used for spiritual gifts is the word charismata. And that is where we get the word charismatics. Now, the Greek word charismata comes from the Greek charis, which means grace. So charismata literally means, in the Greek, grace gifts. Okay? So just looking at that word brings up a couple of things that we need to point out. First of all, and, and, and Paul just said it in verse 11, the Spirit apportions to each one what? As he wills. That means that if you have a spiritual gift, uh, these gifts are sovereignly and undeservedly given by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, whatever gift you may have, there is no basis in that for boasting. There's no no basis in that for, for envy. Whatever your gift is, you didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. You have been given it because of grace. And that's just... God's undeserved favor. If you've got a gift, whether it's mercy, whether it's helps, whether it's teaching, whatever the case may be, you didn't earn it, you didn't deserve it. It is a charismata. It is a grace gift. Grace means you didn't deserve it, right? So that should eliminate any boasting or envy. And that's, that's very important for us to understand because in, in the body of Christ, we are to love and serve one another, are we not? That's what it's all about. And the fact is, how can you do that? How can we love and serve one another if, we're, if, we're look, if we look down on other people because they have what we would consider a lesser gift or we envy other people because they have... If we're envying one another, boasting and all this, we're right back to where the church at Corinth was 2,000 years ago, right? We're, we're dividing up. So, so we, I want to point that out. Charismatic grace gift. It is, it is absolutely undeserved, unearned. Uh, it's unmerited in any shape or or fashion. Secondly, grace gifts or charismata, the Bible just said, and Paul just said in his letter, are given to us for the common good. It's a way of blessing others with the grace that's been given to us. Remember we talked about this last week. One of the main purposes of spiritual gifts is that we strengthen one another. Is it not? We, We talked about that. It's all about strengthening other people. It's not about, look at me. It's not about come see me, look at what I can do. It's about using the grace that's been given to you to strengthen other people. When you look at it that way, think about it this way. This is what a grace gift is. In a way, just by the name, God has given you grace, has He not? Through His grace, He's given you a gift. That has come down vertically. And we are to take that gift, take that grace, and distribute it horizontally to other people. So I'm using what God has given me through grace, and then I'm taking that grace, and I'm using it to strengthen other people, okay? I'm just a, you know, if, if I've got a spiritual gift, I'm just a funnel. I'm just a throughway. It's just coming through me. The grace of God coming through me through a gift and being distributed horizontally and extended to other words. And we said this over and over, and, and we'll keep saying it for the next three chapters because this is so important that the measure of a spiritual gift is that it spiritually helps other people. That's the measure. If you're not, if you're not taking an ability or, or a talent that you have, and you're not strengthening the faith of other people, then that is just an ability and a talent. It is not a spiritual gift. Spiritual gifts help other people spiritually. Everybody with me? That is just crucially important, because later on, we're going to get to some gifts and we're going to you need to think about that gift how does that help other people how is it strengthening other people and if it's not if it's just bringing attention to you then it's completely out of order and we'll see that as we move along now i also mentioned this last week that in this passage in here in 1st Corinthians chapter 12 verses 7 through 11 paul lists nine spiritual gifts but i said it last week this is not a complete list there are other gifts denoted in Romans 12, 6 through 8. Uh, there's another list later here in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, and Ephesians four eleven. So there's at least four lists that we know in Romans, Corinthians, and Ephesians where Paul lists the spiritual gifts. So this is not a complete list. Now last week we went through all these passages. You can make a note of them and look them up later. But if you put them all together, if you take all those passages and put them together, you'll come up with a list of 20 spiritual gifts. They are prophecy, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leadership, mercy, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, discerning of spirits, various kind of tongues, interpretation of tongues, helps, administration, apostles, evangelists, and pastors. That If you take all those lists and you put them all together, they, they amount to 20. Now, this raises a real question. Is that all of them? Are there 20? In other words, we've got four lists. Each list doesn't, is not a complete list. So we have to ask the question, well, is that, does those four passages give a comprehensive, complete list of spiritual gifts? That's a good question. Now, most people... Uh, now, well, let me say this. The Bible never says... Paul never comes out and says, hey, guys, let me give you a comprehensive list of spiritual gifts. He gives a list here and he gives nine. He gives a list over here and he gives five or six. He gives a list over here and gives seven. He never gives them all. He lists one here that he doesn't list here. And most of the time, what we see, we said this last week, is, 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 because when he's talking, it's really not about the spiritual gifts, right? The spiritual gifts is just something he kind of refers to. It's really, and, and here in 1 Corinthians 12, it's really about the spirit and how the Spirit is strengthening the churches, and how the Spirit works, the gifts is just a part of that. So on one hand, it's a hard question to answer. I'm not, I can't say definitively yes and definitively no. But most commentators say the very fact that none of the passages that we've read gives a complete list lends itself to thinking that there are probably other gifts that are not listed. Okay? Now again, you've got to be really careful here. Um, let me give you a, a couple of, of, uh, of suggestions. For example, celibacy. You remember in First Corinthians seven, we went through this uh, several weeks ago. Paul is talking about some people are to get married and some people are to be celibate. And look what he says: "For I wish that all men were even as myself, but each one has his own what? He has his own gift from God. Eat one in this manner and another in this." So basically, what he's saying there, he's inferring that celibacy is a, is a gift. Okay. Now, he never lists this in, in his list of spiritual gifts, but, he's re- but by the way, if you read that, doesn't it also kind of infer that marriage is a gift? See what it says? Each one, each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner, in other words, being celibate, and one in this, in, in being married. So again, that's kind of, you know, that's one thing that's been suggested. Another one would be hospitality. First Peter four, nine through ten says this be hospitable to one another without grumbling, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Is hospitality a gift? I'm not real sure. It it kind of infers it, does it not? I mean when you read it in context, it infers it, but he just never comes out and says it. So again, you can see how this this is not necessarily this cut and dried thing. There's there's other ones. Some I've seen I was just kind of reading around and doing some research. Somebody I I've, I've seen things like voluntary poverty is, is a gift, martyrdom, uh being a missionary, being an intercessor uh, intercessory prayer warrior, uh exorcism, craftsmanship, music. So I've heard all these things kind of thrown out there. Um it it's again this is a very good point to stop and restate what I said last week. Stop worrying so much about naming the gifts. That we get so caught up in that. We said it last week. We go out on the internet and we take those tests, you know, you know, figure out what your spiritual gift is. You know, After all, let's be honest, whether we call hospitality a gift or not, aren't we all supposed to be hospitable? Aren't we commanded to be hospitable? Whether you call it a gift or not, what difference does it make? Right? We, we need to quit worrying so much about naming the gifts. And, and as I said last week, start worrying about strengthening other people. That's what we ought to be focusing on. In fact, let me go even further on here. We're going to start today trying to define each spiritual gift. And we're going to try to talk about it. But it's not easy. It's not easy at all. Here's a couple reasons why. Several of the gifts listed by the Apostle Paul are virtues that all Christians should have. I would even say must have in order to be obedient Christians. And, and here lies a very important lesson. For example, service. Service is called a spiritual gift. Yet in Galatians 5.13, Paul says this, For you were called to freedom, who? Who's he talking to? He's talking to everybody. He's talking to all of us. He's saying you were all called to freedom, only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love do what? Serve one another. And all Christians are to serve one another. But yet he says it's also a spiritual gift. Another one, exhortation or encouragement. We'll see this today. He's talking, the, the writer of Hebrews is writing and he's, and he's writing to Christians. And he said, but exhort one another every day. In other words, encourage one another, challenge one another every day. He's talking to all of us. Now, some people have a gift in this. But that doesn't excuse any of us from saying, well, that's not my gift. I, I don't need to do that. All of us should be, should be serving one another. All of us should be exhorting one another, giving. I love Ephesians 4.28. Paul says, Paul takes the least likely person to give. <laughs> have you noticed this? It was a thief. He says, let the thief no longer steal, but let, rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. Why? So that he may have something to share with anyone that has a need. Paul takes the least likely person in the body of Christ who was a thief, and says, let him share everything that he has. Let him look around. That's that's all of us, folks. We should all be givers. We don't have to have a gift for that. Mercy. Jesus himself said what? Be merciful, even as your Father in heaven is merciful. So every one of us should be doing these things, whether we have a gift in it or or not. so, So what does that tell us? Well, it tells us that you can't put these gifts in neat, nice, neat little boxes and say, I've got that gift, and I don't have this one, therefore I don't have to do that. Everybody, everybody this is so important to understand spiritual gifts because if we're not careful, we'll say, well, that's not mine. I don't need to do that. Or that's yours. You need to take care of that as opposed to stepping back and just, like I said, it shouldn't be about who's got what gift. It should really be about, man, who can I help? Do you need help? Do you need help? How can I help? Always going around looking for help instead of trying to list and name spiritual gifts. So one of the things that spiritual gifts are not things that are, uh, uh, that are, that are uh, possessed completely by one person and not by another. Some people may have one spiritual gift, some people may have five. It's just not, you just can't put it in this nice, neat, little, uh, little, little box. Rather, what we see is, are, is that gifts are varying measures of grace, which God works in different proportions in different lives. And he does that according... Paul says this, "...we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us." That's Romans twelve six. Now, we asked this question last week, because everybody wants to know this. Well, how can I discover my spiritual gift, right? And I said it last week. I'm going to say it again. I'll probably say it 20 more times before we get through these chapters. You can go take a spiritual gifts test if you want to. And I'm not saying those things are necessarily bad. But the best way to discover your gift is start looking for people who need help. Start looking around for people who need their faith strengthened. Start looking around for people who need to be served, who need to be encouraged. Remember the the analogy we did a few uh, we did last week, I believe it was, you know, you come up to a there's a flood rising up against the house and you come up on this place and, and, and some people are filling sandbags and some people are stacking sandbags and some people are, are serving water and some people are, are, are coordinating and administrating, what do you do? Do you go get on your iPhone and say, let me take a gift test and see which one of these I'm... No, no, what's more important is you have a heart to help. So you run over and you just, look, hey, let me fill a sandbag. Let me pass out. That's what's more important. And when you start doing that, you'll find the Holy Spirit, trust me, if you've got a heart to help, if you've got a heart to strengthen other people, He will put you where you need to be. He will show you your spiritual gift. You, you will you'll start doing something and you'll find out, man, I, I love this. In fact, that's my next thing. A lot of people ask this question, how will you know it? When you find it, how will you know your spiritual gift? You'll know it because you love it. You'll know it because you enjoy it. You'll know because you're good at it. You'll know because you never get tired of it. You'll know because there's a satisfaction and a contentment that it gives you that nothing else in this world does. That's how you'll know. You'll just never get tired of it. I remember... Uh, a few years ago, I was at, uh, went, didn't go to a funeral, but I was at uh, a funeral home at somebody else's funeral, and I met somebody, and their their mom had died, a lady that used to teach me in Sunday school uh, years ago when I was a little bratty kid. And um, he told me she taught Sunday school for 40-something years. Can you imagine? 40-something years and never got tired of it. I can tell you, that was, she had a gift, right? In fact, how do we know this? L- listen, there's not a better more satisfying feeling than knowing your gift and knowing that you are walking in it. Knowing, knowing that you're making an eternal difference, that you're literally doing something for the eternal plan of God. And the fact is, when you're doing that, you, you look, you'll, you'll look for opportunities to use it. You're not trying to get away from it. You're, I mean, this is just the greatest thing. You know, I've got a gift from God. You, you'll look for those opportunities. And, when, and And one thing I found, when people serve within the context of their spiritual gift, they seem to do it... It's not effortlessly, because we're human beings. And human beings get tired, and human beings get bored. So you can't really say effortless. But what you'll see is there's very little stress. If I ask the question this morning, Scooter and I talk about this, like, how many of us have ever had this idea we're going to do something for the Lord, and you, t- you take off down this road doing something, and you get down that road and you realize... What was I thinking? How many of you? You are just worn out, tired. You're stressed out all the time. It ain't working. Anybody? I've done that more times than I can even count. Can I tell you, I realized real quick, man, I had a lot of zeal, but I didn't have any wisdom. And I wanted to do something, but I got so far ahead of God. See, when you're walking in your gift, you're not ahead of him. You're walking with Him. You're walking in His plan. You don't get stressed. You don't, you, you just, you're enthusiastic, constantly enthusiastic about it, what it is that you, that you do. And, and what's the reason for that? Well, Paul told us, go back in, uh, in, in the verses prior. Uh, he said this, But it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. These are are empowered by the one and the same spirit. He says when you have a spiritual gift, you are literally empowered or energized by the Spirit of God. And you, trust me, you'll you'll never get bored. You'll never get tired of it because you're energized by the Spirit of God. Okay, and that's that's a huge deal. So let me say this one more time. I've already said it three times. Quit getting hung up on listing or naming the gifts. That should not be our focus. Remember, spiritual gifts are to be used to strengthen the faith of others. So the thing to focus on is this. Are we doing what we can to strengthen other people's faith? Do we get up in the morning and go through the day? Are we people who, who pray, Lord, put somebody in front of me today that I can strengthen their, their faith? Because, see, that's what spiritual gifts is, is all about. Look at verse uh, 7. Paul says this, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for what? The common good. It's for all of us. It's, it's, it's one of those things that's got to go out. It's got to be, it's got to be used. Ephesians 4.16 says this, and I, I just thought I would throw this out because I love this verse. It says, From whom the whole body, who is that? That's us. That's me and you. Joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does it share. Let's read that version piece in white again. That every person in the body has something to give. Every person in the body has something to do to contribute to the body. It doesn't matter if you're an ear or an eyelash or a little toe or a kneecap or a piece of hair, whatever it is, every part of the body contributes to the body. Now look at that look at this last verse right there. It says, "When every part is doing its share, It causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Everybody see that? Whenever part's doing its share, when every one of us are contributing, walking in our gift, doing what we can to strengthen, the Bible says God has ordained that the body edifies itself. The body builds itself up. Everybody see that? That's how he's ordained it. Everyone, that's how this body grows and matures and becomes more like Christ when every person is doing their part. Every person is contributing their, their share. God has ordained that we build ourselves up, that we edify one another. That is, a, that is an incredible reality and a great truth. But I, let me tell you, it's all pie-in-the-sky theology unless every one of us, every one of us, I go around this room, you should have a, a web of relationships around you. Every single one of us. You should have people around you that you're strengthening their faith, that you're loving, that you're serving, that you're helping, that you're exhorting, that you're showing mercy to. Every single one of us. None of us exist. That's why the person that sits in their house and doesn't come to church and says they're a Christian and says they don't... They have no idea. They have no idea what Christianity is all about. I mean, don't get me wrong. I understand there's shut-ins and things like that. That's not what I'm talking about. You are, you are designed, it is ordained by God, that you exist as part of a body and you do your share. That's how we grow into the stature of Jesus Christ. Every one of us should have that web of those interpersonal relationships that, where we are putting our gifts into practice. Now, with that all said, this morning, we're going to begin to be, begin to define the spiritual gifts. We're going to go through those 20. And we're going to begin to talk about what each one of them is. Now, the first thing we're going to do is go through the non-controversial. And then we're going to hit the somewhat controversial. And then next week, we're going to get to the real controversial. Okay, so we'll start out with the non-controversial. Now, before we begin, I want to point something out that I don't think I really hadn't thought about until a couple weeks ago. And we've already seen how we can't, we've already said you can't put these gifts in the nice little boxes. It just it just doesn't work. But here's another issue, and I wonder if you've ever thought about this. Have you ever noticed that the Bible lists the gifts, but it never defines them? Have you ever noticed that, that? That Paul had multiple chances. He had it in his letter to the Romans. He had it in his letter to the Corinthians. He had another chance in his letter to the Ephesians to define the spiritual gifts. I mean, literally say, oh yeah, by the way, guys, the word of knowledge works like this. When I say helps, I mean this. He never does it. Never. Okay? And that, that's astounding to me. These are, are they important? Are they important? Sure they are. We've said it's crucial to the life of the church. You would think that Paul, inspired by the... By the way, even if Paul thought he was just writing a letter, the Holy Spirit knew what he was doing. The Holy Spirit knew he was inspiring Scripture that was going to be read for for thousands of years down the line. You would have thought, why wouldn't you take time to define the spiritual gifts and tell us what they are? Okay, and in fact, if there was such a a misuse of those gifts going on, you, you would even think even more so that Paul would say, look, let me, let me tell you what these are and specifically how they're supposed to be used. But he doesn't. He, he really doesn't. He never really defines the gifts. Now, as we move through the gifts, another thing we're going to find out is how interrelated they are. So, so trying to define them gets really tricky. For example, let's take the gift of paraklesis. It's the Greek word for exhortation. Okay, this gift, that this word means to exhort or to encourage, if you have that gift, right? Well, that can be, think about that gift, that can be closely related to at least six others. For example, leadership. How do you lead without being an encourager? I, I'm not sure how you do that in church. If you're going to lead people, you have to exhort them, you have to encourage them. Pastoring, uh, an elder or a shepherd. How do you do that without that gift? I I think you have to have that gift. Prophecy, the whole point of prophecy is speaking forth the words of God. Shouldn't that be also related in some way to exhorting or encouraging? A word of wisdom. If you're going to use that gift and you're going to give somebody a word of wisdom, I would assume that one of the purposes behind that gift is to exhort or encourage. Same thing with the word of knowledge. Same thing with teaching. When I get up here every Sunday and I teach, am I not encouraging? Am I not exhorting you? Am I not challenging you to conform your life to the Word of God? You see how these kind of go together? They're just not in these nice little, nice little silos or boxes. It just doesn't work that way. So here's my question. And I don't know the answer to this question. I'm just going to put it out there. Could it be that Paul purposefully didn't define the meanings? could it be that he purposefully said, you know what, I'm not going down that road? Because here's the problem. If he would have defined them, and if he just said, this is what it is, what do we do with stuff like that? We just, I mean, we we love that kind of stuff, don't we? (laughs) Don't we love things to be, this is what it is. And then we just focus on that thing. I've said this before, I hear people say all the time, we need to go back and have church the way they did back then. Well, go, try to, go read the Bible and try to figure out how to have church. You'll struggle. Because it's not, it's not about you got to do this for 10 minutes, you got to do this for 20 minutes, and you got to do... That's not what church is about at all. So Paul st- the New Testament really stays away from it. It doesn't tell us what time to meet, what day to meet, how long we're supposed to get together, what we're supposed to do, and what order. It doesn't, doesn't really care about all that. Because there's a lot more important things going on than all that. And I think that's the point here is maybe, and I don't know this definitively, but maybe there's a lot more going on here. There's a lot more important things like strengthening other people's faith by like having a heart that looks to help than it is to pigeonhole all the gifts into these nice, pretty definitions. Okay, So I just threw that out there. So in fact, I would say that it appears probably highly likely that Paul wants us to focus on the purpose of the gifts, which once again is helping others, rather than on these tight, confines, technical meanings for each one. So let's keep that in mind as we, quote-unquote, define the spiritual gifts, all right? So even as we walk through them, I don't even pretend to try to define it down to this nice, tight little definition that we have to to stick to. Okay, let's go through them, and we won't get through them all this morning. We've only got about 15 minutes, um, but we'll get... And again, these are the non-controversial ones, Okay. The first one is service. This is listed in Romans twelve seven. Service is the ability to identify and care for the physical needs of the body through a variety of means. By the way, the, the Greek word for this gift is the exact same word that's used for deacon. Okay, it's the same word. The word for the gift and the word for the office are the exact same word. But again, don't make the... This is where we got to be careful. Don't think, well... If you got the gift of service, you must be a deacon, right That's not it at all. The deacon should have the gift of service. that would make sense, but that doesn't mean that half the congregation doesn't have this gift or all of it. who knows okay Not only to mention we should all be what serving just as a Christian, we are to serve one another. The Bible tells us that as well okay uh, teaching this is in romans twelve seven it's also listed in in first corinthians 12, 28, and 29 and Ephesians 4.11. This is the ability to clearly explain the truths of God's Word so that others will learn. It requires the capacity to accurately interpret Scripture, engage in research, organize the results in a way that people can can understand. By the way, this is the one gift that comes with a warning. Right? James said what? Anybody? Don't let many of you be teachers, because you're going to be held to a higher standard, a higher judgment. Be very careful. Don't just run out and think, I want to do that. Be very careful uh, in doing that. Exhortation. We mentioned this. This is Romans 12.8. This is the ability to motivate others to respond to the truth by providing timely words of counsel, encouragement, and consolation. Someone with this gift is a challenger. Okay, You challenge people to put God's word to the test. You challenge people to conform their their, their life to, to, to God's word. Okay. You're, you're challenging, you're exhorting, you're encouraging. Everybody with me. Okay. That's a, that, it, I like that word challenge. You, you, you see a situation and you go to somebody. Let, let me, let me tell you something that happened to me a long, a, a while back. And this, I, I don't know if I got this gift or not, to be quite honest with you. Um, like I said, it's, it, it gets, it gets, it gets hard to put them in a box. Uh, Probably a couple years ago, well, maybe longer than that, I was standing right back there one day, and there was somebody in this church that was going through something. And, um, and, and I knew they were going through it. It had been a long, drawn out thing they were going through. And, um, and I'm not one to just normally go up to people, right? I don't normally do that. But as I was standing right back there, and this person was over to my left, I looked at them, and I felt inside that I needed to go encourage them. I just, I just felt like I needed to go encourage them, and so, I, now here, this is the way I work. <laughs> just so you don't think I'm super spiritual, was well, it just me? You know, is this just me? Y'all do that? Should I really? I'm just sitting there, just wasting. Should I really do that? Let me, let me tell you, I, I've learned now to think. What's the downside of doing that? Is there any downside to going over and encouraging somebody? Yes or no? There's no downside. Just get up, get up and go do it, right? Because there's no downside to it. So I went over to this person, and I told this person, I said, hey, I want you to know I've been watching you go through this thing you're going through, and I've noticed that your faith hasn't failed. And I want you to know I'm proud of you, and I know that God's proud of you. And this person just started bawling and weeping, and, and, and that was it. See, that's, that's an encourager. That's, that's, it's just, listen, can, why, why would we all not be doing that every day? Shouldn't we all just be running around looking for people to encourage? Of course we should. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. Okay? So that's, that's a, that's a good gift to have. Giving. Romans 12, 8. This is the ability to contribute material resources with generosity and cheerfulness for the benefit of others and the glory of God. You do not, let me say this, you do not have to be rich. This gift has nothing to do with being rich, okay? A, a, there, there are givers out there, and I know some of them, that just give, and they're not rich at all. They'll, they'll give until it just, they'll just give. They're just, it's just part of who they are. They'll give their time, they'll give their money, they'll give their clothes, they'll give their, whatever resources they have, they just give them. And they and they and let me tell you, they absolutely love doing it; it gives them a contentment and a satisfaction that nothing else like that does they just they just love doing it that's that's the gift of giving, and you do not have to be rich leadership romans twelve eight this is really the ability to discern God's purpose for a group and then set and communicate appropriate goals and then motivate others to work together to fulfill them in the service of God. Listen, a person with the gift of leadership does not have to um, manipulate. They don't have to browbeat. They don't have to coerce. They don't have to bully. Okay? The person, remember, if you've got this gift, you are empowered by who? By God. The person with this gift, other people will just follow them. There's just something about that person. That person, this person sometimes looks up, I remember years ago, I had a, a video for the kids, and it was this really neat video I showed them, and it, it, the video starts with this kid walking down a hallway at school, and people are bumping into him and hitting him, and he, in other words, he's trying to do the right thing. He's trying to, everybody, you know, he's trying to walk the right, he's going against the tide, he's going against the culture, and and, and the voice is talking, and it seems like everybody's going against you, and you're getting tired, and, and finally... You know, after everybody's knocked him down, finally one kid hits him, his books fall to the floor, and you can see him just stop. And you can tell, man, he's just tired. He, he, he's thinking about... And he turns around, and when he looks around, he's got this line of kids behind him. And they're all looking at him like, what are you waiting for? Let's go. Right? See, that's what a leader is. A leader doesn't have to bully or coerce. coerce. Sometimes a leader doesn't even know the people are following him. Okay? So, Because he's empowered by God. They're empowered by God. Their leadership comes from the Holy Spirit. It's just this this thing about them. Now, don't get me wrong. They know what to do. They know how to lead because that comes from God as well. But they don't have to bully or coerce or manipulate. It doesn't doesn't come from any of that. Mercy. This is Romans 12.8. This is the ability to deeply empathize and engage in compassionate acts on behalf of people who are suffering physical, mental, or emotional distressed those with this gift manifest concern and kindness to people who are often overlooked okay there's a big difference there are times folks when mercy sometimes just means going to somebody and putting your arm around them you don't you're not challenging them you're not encouraging them you're not trying to say hey you need to see that's my problem i tend to be an encourager and not so much merciful i want to tell everybody what they need to do does that make sense I want to go somebody, even they going through a hard time, I want to go up to them and say, look, this is what you need to do. See, some people, sometimes people don't need that. They just need somebody to put an arm around them and say, I'm right here. I'm with you. I'm beside you. That's mercy. And and, and, most, and I'm not saying most often, but often it's really toward people who are kind of on the fringes, who are kind of on the side, people who aren't mature enough, people who are not, you know, that kind of get overlooked. That's, that's the gift of, of mercy helps now this is not controversial but here's a problem the word in first corinthians 12 28 paul says there is a gift of helps is the only time in the whole new testament that word is used it's never used any paul uses it one time he says the gift of helps and he never means it again it literally means to relieve to succor, to participate in or support it literally means to help Probably the person with this gift are those who can aid or render assistance to others in the, in the church. And this can have a broad range of applications from helping with daily chores to existing in administration to, you know, maybe I drive somebody to the hospital or I go pick up groceries or I, or I vacuum the church or, 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 or maybe you've got a ministry of, of some time, and maybe you've got some gift and I just come in and help you. What do you need help with? It's very broad, but it's just a person who's always looking who needs help. How can I assist you? How can I participate in, in what you are doing? Uh, administration, 1 Corinthians 12, 28. This word, again, like helps, appears one time in the whole New Testament. Paul never uses it any other time. He, one time he says the gift of administration. But outside of Scripture, in Greek literature, it's, it's used for a helmsman who steers a ship. That's what an administrator is. That's, that's the word in Greek. It's for the guy who sits on the ship and, and does the steering wheel. And, and what's the thing in the back that moves? The rudder. <laughs> I not come up with that word. Um, this suggests to us that the spiritual gift of administration is the bit, ability to steer a church or an organization toward a fulfillment of its goals by managing its affairs and implementing necessary plans. Um, by the way, do you, I want you to understand, do you understand somebody can have the gift of, of leadership and not have the gift of administration at all? There are people who are great leaders. I mean, they'll get people to follow them, but they got no idea how to get anything done. Sometimes this you need the person that just kind of works behind the scenes and administrates everything. Hey, I see better ways to do this. If we would do this this way, we'd be much more efficient. We'd get to our goals faster. That's what an administrator does. He's able to kind of... You do this, you do that, you do it this way. Okay? May not be a leader, may not be a pastor, may just be a person that works behind the scenes. But again, this is how all this stuff is supposed to, to work together. Evangelism. Ephesians 4.11. This is the ability to be an unusually effective instrument in leading unbelievers to a saving knowledge with Christ of Christ. Some people who have this gift are, are very effective one-on-one. Other people who are, are, have this... A uh, gift may may minister to to, to thousands. Okay, um, but the fact is, again, be very careful here. Are we all supposed to be evangelists? Absolutely. What what is it, Uncle? You say, Uncle Dallas, when you go, where you go, how you go, everywhere you go, you should be looking for opportunities to to share Christ with someone. That's all of us. But there are some people that are just really good at it. And not only are they good at it, they're very effective at it. Okay, And they, they more than likely would have this gift. Faith. The gift of faith. Once again, do we all have faith? Absolutely. If you didn't, you wouldn't be here, would you? Okay, You wouldn't be saved. You have faith. But the gift of faith is defined as a special gift whereby the Spirit provides Christians with extraordinary confidence in God's promises, power, and presence. Now watch, watch this, so that they can take heroic stands for the future of God's work in the church. You see, don't miss this. Every one of us have faith, and there are times that, like God did with Abraham or other people throughout the Bible, that you'll have faith in your life for a specific thing that God is doing for you. Is that correct? Trust me, the spiritual gift of faith. What is the purpose of spiritual gifts? It's for others. It's for us. See, this gift, when he gives it to you, isn't so much about you getting something done in your life. It's about you using this gift to, 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 to edify the church. There's something about this gift that he... Don't forget this because you'll... This is where it gets really tricky. You'll say something like this. Well, God's going to give me the gift of faith so I can get healed of... of my knee can get healed. Well, I'm not saying he will or won't. I don't know. But I'm just telling you, this gift of faith is for the edifying of the body. It's for the strengthening of other people's faith. That's what the spiritual gift is for, and we need to keep that in mind. Again, as, as with all of... I just want to bring that out again. The gift of faith is given to some Christians who use it to edify others in the, in the body of Christ. All right, discerning of spirits. We've got to speed up here. 1 Corinthians 12, 10. This is the ability to clearly discern the spirit of truth versus the spirit of error. With this gift, sometimes you can distinguish... A reality, something that, that's real from a counterfeit. You can uh, d- distinguish the truth from a lie. You can distinguish real teaching from false teaching. You can still f- distinguish something that's demonic for something that's truly from the Holy Spirit. Or sometimes carnal motives versus versus spiritual motives. Um, a shepherd, pastor, or an elder. This is a person who has the ability to lead, nourish, protect, and care for the needs of a flock of believers. That's Ephesians 4.11. Um, The word of wisdom, some translations call it the word of wisdom, Uh, some call it the utterance of wisdom. The Greek word for wisdom is Sophia, okay, that's the Greek word for wisdom, and it literally means the proper application of knowledge. It it refers to the ability to take a knowledge of God's word. Listen, there's a lot of people floating around that's got a lot of knowledge of God's word. This person can take it and apply it, and uh, apply it rightly. Okay, um, They have the ability to speak to the life of an individual or to a specific situation with great understanding and a righteous perspective. And what I mean by that is they, ha- they have the ability to look at a situation and apply Scripture and do it in a right or a God perspective. What would God want us to do in this situation? Not what is a what does common sense say, what does the world say. What's the what's going to make us the most money or, or be the most... He has, to, he has the ability to look at a situation and say, what would God do? What would God have us do? Let me tell you, if you have a problem, a difficult issue or problem, this is the person you want to go to. This is the person you want to go to, a person that's got this, this wisdom and can speak wisdom into other people's life because they, they have insight not only into life in general... But more importantly, into God's Word and how to apply that Word in practical ways. All right, real quickly. Uh, Well, I'll tell you what, I'm running out of time. Well, let's go home. We're okay. All right, real quickly, i got a few more. I mentioned, those are, the ones that I mentioned there are pretty much the non-controversial. Okay, most people don't really have a problem. There are some controversial ones, which we'll get to next week. Those are the, what we call the sign gifts, tongues, healing, uh, I'm sorry, tongues, miracles, uh, prophecy. We'll, talk, we'll get into those next week. There are a couple that are somewhat controversial, all right? The first one is the word of knowledge. What does that mean? What is the word of knowledge? Well, Paul never says. He just says this is a gift, but he never says what that gift is. Now, There are really two interpretations if you go out and read what people think. This is the first one, and this is what I would call the kind of conservative one. It says this, Those with the gift of knowledge understand the deep things of God and the mysteries of His Word. They have the ability to discover, analyze, and systemize truth, and then speak it for the benefit of the body. Okay, now the problem with that is, doesn't that sound a lot like teaching? It sounds, in fact, it sounds exactly to me like teaching. Okay, that, That's what I would call... But some people say the word of knowledge is just being able to, to get real knowledge, true knowledge out of God's word and speak it to the body of, of believers. But that sounds, again, sounds a lot like the gift of, of teaching. The second definition has a more supernatural definition. It says this, The ability to receive a special revelation from the Holy Spirit and thereby speak words that give wisdom in a situation or special knowledge of a situation in the life of someone present. This is how more, most charismatics would define it. That I would get up and I would look out and say, Uncle Dallas. And I'd call out something about him that nobody knows, that only he knows. That's more of a supernatural definition. We'll talk more about this. We'll talk more about this next week. One more quick one, and that is apostle. This is also controversial. Now, in the New Testament, the apostles, we all know who the apostles were. It was the twelve. It also included Paul. But there were particular, it seems to be particular qualifications in the New Testament for that office. Number one, you had, you had to have been, you had to have seen the Lord with your own eyes and you had to have been appointed by Him. Acts 26, 16 through 18, Jesus appears to Paul and he says this, rise and stand upon your feet for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen. Jesus says, Paul, I've appeared to you and I've appointed you. Everybody see that? That was the same thing that was true with the with the twelve. Um, in, in 1 Corinthians nine one, Paul says, am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus? So it seems to be a, a qualification for an apostle is to have not only seen the Lord, but been appointed by the Lord. Now, the if, if that is a requirement for the office of apostle, having seen Jesus and been appointed by Jesus, then the, the office of the apostle seems to have ceased to exist, um, by the second century. Okay. In fact, we have no biblical evidence to indicate that those 13 apostles, uh, were replaced when they died. Um, in fact, we know, uh, uh, for example, James was killed, and there's no evidence at all that when James died, that they replaced him with a new apostle. Okay, so so there's a lot of evidence that the office of apostle probably ceased to exist. However, just as the gift of service and the office of deacon are two separate things, many still believe that the gift of apostleship continues to be given as a spiritual gift. This is the ability to establish and oversee. New churches and Christian ministries with a recognized authority. So that's, again, I don't know the answer to that. Okay, we'll talk about that a little bit in the weeks to come. Now, all Christian denominations believe in the spiritual gifts. Right after all, they're just listed right there. And, there, and there's most Christian denominations would have no problems with exhortation or encouragement or service or helps or administration or leadership. Most, most majority of Christians have no problems with those at all. Um, th- there might be disagreements. We might disagree, for example, on apostleship. Um, we might degre- disagree like on the word of knowledge. Are there, some would say they have less supernatural tendencies and others would say they have more. However, there are five gifts that are very controversial in the church today. And those gifts are known as the sign gifts. That is prophecy, healing, miracles, tongues and interpretation of, of tongues. So next week, we will begin to get into each one of those. Are those gifts for today? Have they Did they cease with the early church? If they are for today, how, what, what, how is it supposed to happen? What does it mean? We're going to begin to go through those one by one. And yeah, I'm, I'm not looking forward to it. But the problem with teaching exegetically is you can't skip anything, right? you got to dive in and, and figure it all out. So next week we'll get to the uh, signed gifts. Let's pray.